0: Welcome, everybody, to a very special episode of the Rose Thrilleric Podcast, episode number 21. And joining us today, acclaimed musical guest, Miss Abysmal, talking about their new album, Mystery Dream. Miss Abysmal, thank you for joining us.
1: Hi, thank you for having me.
0: <laughs> let's Let's start. So, this was a great album. People who don't know Mystery Team, you can find it on Amazon. You can find it on Spotify. A ton kind of fun to listen to. Nice songs on the album. Super fun, super enjoyable. Let's start with the, the persona, the, the, the Miss Abysmal person. Um, the name Abysmal. I mean, you, it sounds extremely bad. I just, I'm just, i just curious, why, why Miss Abysmal? What is what, the name getting across to you? Um,
1: well, it comes from a poem I wrote a few years ago. And... For me, it's kind of like a play on my feminine side and my dark side. And I think those two words are a weird juxtapis- juxtaposition within themselves. So, so playing off
2: that, what uh, what would be the preferred pronoun of Miss Abysmal? <laughs>
1: um, I guess I identify as a he. But... Miss Abysmal. I guess it's a female, yeah.
0: When you're kind of a you're
1: serious gonna... answer. <laughs> <okay>. when,
0: you're, <laughs> when you're uh performing, is there a persona that goes with the the character? Is it something that you have to kind of psych yourself into character? Is it you know a, a persona that you adopt for performance? Uh tell us a little bit about that process.
1: Yeah, totally. Um I think going off of what I said about like the feminine thing, like I used to dress up in weird clothes and usually put on some sort of like face paint or makeup, um, nothing like too, too crazy. Um, but yeah, definitely try to like embody like a different character and get out of my normal human self. Awesome. And okay. Miss Abysmal. before we start talking
2: about your album, um, as you may know, we do have the roses and rhetoric music correspondent that we reached out to for this. And our correspondent uh, actually wrote us a review for the album Mystery Dream. So I'd like to share that now and then uh, get your take on it after and see if you think it's an accurate assessment or not. So Mystery Dream by Miss Abysmal. Notes, psychedelic, break beats, dream pop, synthy, dense, lush sounds, hazy vibe, drone, industrial, beachy. Dream pop always reminds me of the beach or being near water. The review. Miss Abysmal is a solo project created by Tyler Kanata. The overall sound of Miss Abysmal is rooted in dream pop and psychedelia, seasoned with some dancey bass lines. In general, dream pop always reminds me of the beach or the rain. There is a certain white noise to the crashing waves, the humid breeze, or water splashing on the ground that is subdued yet enveloping. Those same sonic qualities are prevalent throughout the album. The second album by Miss Abysmal. Mystery Dream begins with the track, I Walked Into the Sun. The listener is first met with a droning chant soon followed by the break beat. The song then flares into hazy lush vibe that will continue throughout the entirety of Mystery Dream. Miss Abysmal's vocals are soft and airy, creating a hallucinatory aura. The lyrics all over the album meander as one often does while asleep. This is especially evident on the track Dream Jungle. The use of the 5-4 time signature on Dream Jungle offers the feeling of strolling between thoughts with a pleasant ease. Then, when the time changes to 3-4, it feels as if one has stopped to ponder a specific thought. Before going back to strolling along again in 5-4, Junebug is hypnotizing with a sensual energy. The coda on Junebug then breaks into an almost lucid awakening. Mystery Dream ends with the song tearing down the big screen, which is the last grasp at trying to remember every detail before fading back into reality. For the best listening experience, I recommend putting mystery dream on around dusk, sit outside or next to a big window, grab yourself a beverage of choice, watch the light fade and let the sounds help you drift into the last third of the day. And that's the end of the review. Is that a sound like what you had intended for the album, or is that close to, to, to reality from your opinion?
1: Hmm. That was really nice. Thank you to the writer of that. Um, yeah, I think it nailed it in a lot of ways. To quote and copy Joni Mitchell, "I'm a water junkie," um, so all the water references are certainly there, and is very much a part of who I am as a person. And I really liked the the dusk things. That's my when I'm really creative, and I probably wrote most of those songs around that time period. So that was pretty cool. I don't know if I've listened to it at dusk, so. Sounds great <laughs> and fitting.
0: Very good. Yes, that. So again, and that, that was uh, from our very own RNR uh, official music correspondent. And uh, I mean, this, 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 this whole project this last week, listening to the album, getting familiar with it. Uh, we talked a little bit last week about the idea of listening to an album all the way through um, versus just one or two songs from the album. And for me, what stuck out to me from the album as a whole. Um, is that I, I tried to come up with three words that I thought really describe this album to me as a whole. And the, the three words that I came up with were mesmerizing, personal, and weightlessness. Um, I felt all three of those things in essentially every song, but it's more, more so the the song as a, as a, a process uh, from beginning to end. Uh, I, I don't know how you did it, but your song gave me the sensation of moving through something. I mean, it was it was incredible. Uh, was that a a, um, a a feeling that you intended to create with your music, the the sensation of weightlessness?
1: I don't think there's much like conscious things happening when you're creating music, at least for me. Um, but it does deal with a lot of like ideas about dreams and a lot of weightless concepts themselves so uh yeah i could see how you feel that
2: yeah. and i wanted to talk about uh so i i do want to get into flow states a little bit later in this episode but um for the sake of making this album uh, what, what does that, how does the order typically change in terms of how you put the, the tracks together? Like, do you always start with vocals, for example, and then switch to, the, to the, the guitars and the back track or is it different? Do you have some sort of consistent model that you use or can you just talk usually, about how you prepare the songs?
1: Yeah. Um, I think I I'll always try and break whatever molds I have and try something new for whatever the newest song would be um, my most typical formula would be guitar first, and then from there it just always changes as far as what comes next. Um, but there is definitely like the first song on the record started actually with a drum beat, so it's just the same drums throughout the whole song, and I just recorded you know four minutes of drums and everything followed after that. Um, and then there's, I, you know, some songs, like, I'll specifically want to write in a, like, Dream Jungle, I wanted to write in a 5-4 time signature, and that was conscious, whereas The Wishing Tower is also in 5-4, that was, like, not conscious. I just mm-hmm. happened to write it in 5-4. Um, but, yeah, always changing up the order and keeping it fresh.
0: I, I definitely wanted to talk uh, just really quickly, also, uh, the, about the album the, and the uh, cover art. Um, it's you, you holding it in orange or an apple, and it was out in the background <laughs> out behind Joe. Where was that picture taken? What was, what was kind of the, the inspiration or meaning behind it? And uh, maybe a shout out to the photographer as well.
1: Yeah, um, that's super fun to talk about this because I'm involved in so much of everything that goes into a record. So it's a tangelo from my mom's tree in her backyard um, that I'm holding. And this is taken out uh, in uh, Milagrosa, um, which is a hiking area in Tucson. And it's about like a 40 minute hike to get there. And actually like behind me, there's like a 50 foot drop Um, and there's a huge pool of water down there that you can jump into. Um, But the photographers that I worked with were Frankie Carino and his partner, Charlotte. Um, And I actually used Frankie's, one of his pieces on the first record. And I, for this one, we wanted to, I wanted to work with him again. I've always admired his work and we actually approached it from scratch and conceptualized album art I like and ideas. And then location scouting, uh, I came up with the spot and then we hiked out like all this huge, we hiked out this crazy flash out there. Like I filled up a, you know, 70 liter pack full of camera gear and clothes and outfits and stuff. And we had a lot of, it was a lot of fun shooting out there.
0: That sounds like quite the experience. I uh, have been backpacking a couple of times. I'm not very good at it. Uh, I'm glad that people do enjoy that. And uh, I, I, I would assume, you know, the, the nice thing about doing kind of your own thing is that, uh, you know, it might be harder to convince a big producer to let their talent stand over the edge of a crevasse uh, without a tie-off or something. So, I mean, this is uh, all the uh, benefits of uh, independent art collaboration is you know, taking risks, as evidenced by the cover art itself. <laughs> <laughs> Totally. Very good. Well, Joe, I am looking at our phone lines and we actually have a couple of callers. So why don't we take a call? Uh, so uh, Ms. Abismal, just so you know how it works, sometimes we take calls on the on the program, people uh, ask about comments on the show, kind um, of open anything. So let's see what our first caller has in store for us. All right, caller, you are on the air. Let us know uh, where you're from and uh, who you are.
3: Uh, hi. Uh... Glad to finally be on the show. I've called a few times over the past couple of weeks. Um, never gotten to me, so I'm glad to be on. Uh, my name is uh, Gerald. I'm from Lorraine, Ohio, mm-hmm. and I've been an avid listener now for about uh, four or five months. So um, thank you, uh, Roses and Rhetoric, for having me on.
0: Absolutely. Happy to have you. Sounds like you're a long-time first-time. Uh mm-hmm. Sometimes our lines get a little busy. You kind of like get all the cars on the show, but uh, thank you for your patience.
3: Uh, You know, it's uh, what my mom always tells me. Um, Just be persistent and uh, never give up. So thank you.
0: Very good. What's your your call today?
3: Uh, Yeah, um, I got a big question. Uh, My roommate and I are obviously uh, big listeners of the show, big fans. And um, earlier uh, episode, uh, you focused a lot on hygiene and I think in this time it's very important. Um, can you discuss the merits of um, the bath? Mm-hmm. And why haven't you made a stronger push for bathing given its um, superiority over showering? Thank you.
0: Yeah, thank you. And we'll go ahead and take your uh, answer off the air. Thank you so much for calling it. Joe, you know, we, we talk about bathing a lot on this program. Uh, one of our early topics on roses rhetoric, proper shower technique. I, again, any of our people who are listening for the, to the show for the first time as posted on the blog. Sure, check it out. Um, we came up with a, what I think is a pretty comprehensive system for showering in a proper order in such that you actually come out of the shower with uh, more self-esteem. But the caller makes a good point. Joe, in, and of course, we'll go to, to this one as well. Bathing versus showering. Let's talk about the pros and cons among the group. Joe, go ahead and start us off.
2: Uh, Well, personally, I'm all about the shower. I think that the bathing should be reserved for maybe a uh, quarterly or maybe a weekly uh, activity to do, Hmm. um, mainly from the water conservation standpoint. And it's also whenever I take a bath, I almost feel more dirty when I come out of the bath than when I went in. Hmm. Yeah, awesome points. so for me, I, I'm, a, I'm a strong shower advocate from that perspective. It's abysmal. Uh,
1: Joe, do you feel like you're sitting in a tepid pool of your own filth?
2: <laughs> yes. Um, but an interesting point is that I heard that if you add some sort of bubbles to the bath, it actually uh, keeps the uh, tepid filth at a warmer temperature. So it's more like a warm bath of your own filth. Um, I mm. think it has something to do with the heat transfer at the surface. Uh, so that? I don't know, maybe once I start adding the bubbles to my bath, I might change my opinion, but
3: yeah.
2: as, as of now, that's where I stand. Miss Abysmal, What are your, what are your thoughts on this? Uh,
1: I, I, for me, it's a seasonal thing. Um, I would say baths, which I'm certainly with Joe in that. I don't think bath- baths are a daily necessity, but definitely a special occasion sort of thing. But for me, they're almost, uh, crucial if you're living in a cold environment in the winter yeah
0: absolutely and i i i think i i cannot understand where the collar is coming from because in a way all of us after a long day it is it is nice to be able to sit down in a bathtub now the problem with the bath is that you have your butthole in it I mean, l- let's just use the word right i mean it's your butthole in water and that's what it is that's a mathematical definition there's no, there's 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 no way to escape it Right now, I have found I have found that if I'm if I'm feeling pretty cold and I want to take a nice warm bath, what I will do is I will shower before the bath. Now, people say that's excessive. There's too much water. Hush. You know, it's uh, it's my house or in this case, an apartment. But I think really it's all about being comfortable. I want to talk really quickly about what I talking about with the heat transfer at the surface with regards to bubbles and showers and bathing. And this is the diagram I came up with just now. What happens is without bubbles, the water is, in in a sense, it is is evaporating from the surface and that that process carries with it a lot of heat and the bubbles creating a little film above it will prevent that water from evaporating, thus preventing the evaporative heat transfer. So if anybody is going to be taking a bath over the next few months, it means February is still pretty cold, you want to keep the the water as warm as possible be sure to put bubbles in it. It'll help the water from evaporating, keeping the temperature a little bit warmer. All good points from the caller. uh, And that was Gerald from Ohio. We appreciate your call. So let's move on now to some specifics inside of the album, inside of Mystery Dream. Again, people are talking about Mystery Dream from Miss Abysmal, find it on Spotify, find it on Amazon. Joe, what was your favorite song from the album?
2: Uh, My favorite song was Dream Jungle. And it was like like our music correspondent said. I like the uh, I like the time the time signature changes in it. I like the strolling vibe of it. It uh, that song was the song that stood out, out to me the most on the album. It felt like a just slightly different style than the rest of it, but it was it was uh, it's a it's a good song, which is smooth listening and uh, just something that I was able to listen on repeat for a while. Um, What what was uh I know you you touched on it a little bit earlier, Miss Abysmal, but what what was some of the the uh, the motivation for that song, or what what was going through your mind when you made that?
1: Um, That was the first song I wrote for the record. I was intentionally wanting to do something in a weird time signature. I was actually like kind of studying, like, what is it? The River, which a song by King Gizzard. Great, great track in 5-4. And then 15-step uh, Radiohead. Those were like two tracks I was kind of like, just listening to a lot to get that time signature in my head. Um, but lyrically, um, it's actually about someone that I was with at the time, dating at the time. And basically that that person would have very very vivid lucid dreams and i would um i don't really remember my dreams so it's kind of like taking a lot of the imagery that that person was having and sharing with me and thinking that we're dreaming together and that i'm not remembering them and um but we're still dreaming together yeah
2: that that you saying that that makes me want to i don't have you ever tried to uh, well first of all I know, do you end up listening to your own tracks at any frequency or or your own not albums too, rather
1: not once i finish them i don't listen to them really too much um mm-hmm. but the whole process of making it and mixing it writing it um i end up listening to it a lot <laughs> <laughs> yeah sure Uh, i kind of uh, now that you
2: mentioned that i kind of want to try playing it while i while while i go to sleep like when while i'm sleeping just put it on repeat at like a low volume and see uh, see if it helps me uh, get some lucid dreaming action going let me know how that goes
0: let me go to my favorite song but before we do that we have a quick commercial break uh guys and bear with me real quick we have a quick word from our sponsor for today's episode Reflectotron. Uh, Joe, Ms. Abysmal, you know, COVID vaccines are underway. Air travel hopefully will be will be returning soon. We'll be traveling again. but one part of traveling I'm not looking forward to is that middle seat on the airplane. What is that? No window, no leg room, armrest 50-50. What are we doing? Now we're in the middle seat and we can't look out either window without turning your head. And you can't do that forever because of course, your neck will start to get sore. You know this, I know this, we've all been there before. We've all, you know, we're all been through this kind of, ah, my neck hurts, we've all been there, okay. The smart people at R&B, which is an R&R affiliate, came up with a solution to the middle seat that they're calling Reflectotron. i try and imagine this. It's a reflective device you put on your food tray, to look out of either window, either the one to your immediate left, or immediate right, or across the aisle, out of that window. It sits on your food tray, you move it back and forth, boom, you can see out the window. How do they do this? It's all patented technology, all high-tech stuff, space age, all the, the, the whole nine yards. They're ramping up production now, but they have given us, R&R, a select few prototypes that are suitable for distribution. You can buy now, and if you want one, contact us after the show. Happy to send one your way. Right now, they're about $100 a piece. Get them while they last. And that was, of course, Reflectotron. And really, that's a great product. Um, Definitely serves a purpose. Get your hands on one today. Contesting after the show, we'll get one over to you. My favorite song on the album, Miss Abysmal, my favorite song was Wishing Tower. I loved Wishing Tower. I loved the whole album, but I really loved Wishing Tower. Tell us a little bit about Wishing Tower, and then I have a couple of specific questions about the lyrics of that song I wanted to run by you uh, with regards to meaning.
1: Y'all like the uh, five, four tracks? I'm sensing a theme. Um, that one... Um, man I don't even remember I just wrote it uh, I had this like old uh, like shitty Japanese guitar it's like really old and really crappy and uh, it just kind of it's like one of those instruments where it almost does a lot of the work for you there's a certain way you play that guitar um, and yeah that's where and then I just kind of loaded it with a bunch of I mean there's a couple of effects that make it sound like a steel drum yes i mean that's kind of like the vibe i'm going for on that um like an octave shifter and a chorus pedal um yeah it's that guitar running through just like a couple cool guitar pedals to make it sound weird
0: i thought it was great i uh i, I loved uh, so obviously my favorite song i love the whole thing but i really love the um the, the 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 first line envisioning the hour from the wishing tower how and i the, the way that you made that a whole line kind of fit in the song which is so catchy to me i mean it was uh, really really something talk a little bit about the opening lines take a breath kiss of death and then again envisioning the hour from the wishing tower how you end with a question what 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 question are you asking in that in, the, in those first couple lines
1: uh so this the lyrics are really crazy for this one um I was so the song the song was called Sephora Sephora for oh, yeah. a while and it was like I was working at a plant nursery at the time and there's this tree it's the Texas mountain laurel the botanical is Sephora secundiflora and they grow really slowly um, and I had this amazing one in um, this house I grew up in that was like 70 years old or something and uh, the the blooms smell like great bubblegum. Um, and then it produces like beans. Um, this is, I have to, it's a little while to explain how much depth I put into this, but like it produces these seed pods with these red beans inside of them. And I basically started researching this uh, plant and its like seeds, and they used to be used by uh, indigenous peoples as a crazy psychedelic drug. Um, And then I think some people have actually tried doing it in modern times and died from it. Um, So that's what the kiss of death line is referring to. Um, I don't know if I should keep going or if you have more questions. No, no, go
0: ahead, go ahead. Cause it all, they're all about the lyrics. So keep on going, yeah.
1: Um, So more or less I'm um, imagining like, myself a thousand years ago with indigenous peoples in a ceremony taking these beans but also like linking that to my childhood a little bit and like the fact that i had one of those in my backyard and so is the wishing tower
0: this like higher state of mind that you would achieve by virtue of the taking a psychedelic
1: I guess so. You know, I actually didn't even think of that.
0: <laughs> oh. I'm uh, happy for that EP credit whenever you're ready. No, I'm kidding. Um, okay, let's. So the other one I like: "Peering through a red balloon, my necklace moves inside her womb." Write that one down a little bit for us.
1: Yeah, um, the red balloon is the the red seed, okay, okay. Um, which is what you use in that ceremony. Um, and I was thinking it'd be cool to actually go knock on like my front door of this house I grew up in and ask huh. the people if I could have some seeds and I was going to like make a necklace out of them. Okay. Um, I don't know why I thought of that. I just thought it'd be a cool way to like carry my childhood with me. Um, yeah. And I think I looked up red balloons cause that that's like a, there's imagery there. Like there's that like gold song or something. I don't cool. know. There's symbolism yeah. behind that. Yeah, right. Right.
0: 99 Luthoff balloons. Yeah, absolutely. Which is a great, which is also it, another, yeah, another great, <laughs> you know, obviously way different style than what you're writing, but another great, you know, pop song if you will that uh, is super catchy and is in one of my favorite movies, which is The Watchmen. Um, so fun tie over there for us. A um, couple more for you. Tell us a little bit about Sephora. So in, in the in the lyric I have is um, you you mentioned this person's name kind of over and over again. Uh, this idea of uh, praying to Sephora. And tell us a little bit about Sephora, a little bit more about, about that about that character.
1: Yeah, well, Sephora is the uh, Latin name of the, the tree itself. Right. It's Sephora secundiflora. Um, yeah, it just basically like recognizing that the plant itself is so old and wise and older than me and older than a lot of people and has seen so much and then the fact that it creates um seeds that have some sort of medicinal or deathly toxic quality to them um basically seeing the plant as a like intelligent to some extent and something mm-hmm. that um yeah needs like respect or attention
0: absolutely and that ties and I, I i think if i'm kind of following how the song's creating itself and i, I think the last one is uh the, the last <clears throat> two lines of the song, bubblegum blossoms rot into fossils. All is colossal, the sphinx moth prophet. Write that one down for
1: us. Uh, that's good. Uh, I hit on the grape bubblegum or whatever already, right? Right. Um, let's see, so the, the sphinx moth is another thing I kind of got obs- obsessed with when I was working at this nursery. I just like, learned a lot about plants, especially the ones that are in the Sonoran Desert. Um, and the sphinx moth is this... So every fig tree, there's like a thousand types of like ficus or fig trees, and they each have a specific moth that pollinates it. Um, it's really specific. Mm. Um, and the sphinx moth... Uh, I guess that, that was irrelevant about the fig trees, but a oh. sphinx moth is... Has this insanely long like tongue thing that it, it like it's this really long thing and um it is one of the few like insects if not one of the only that can pollinate like uh cactus flowers um because they're so big those huge flowers mm-hmm. and it's the only thing that can actually get its tongue in there deep enough um so i guess just like yeah just Got really into the sphinx moth, and there's something right. magical about it that I wanted to pay homage to or mention.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I, I agree with you. I mean, there is, you know, this. I, I don't know. Um, it, it's it's fun to contemplate how things can evolve together. So, like you're talking about the sphinx moth and how its long tongue and the cactus flower, how you know these these two species that at one point you know maybe had nothing to do with each other, you know, it somehow converged into this symbiosis. Together, I mean, it's kind of a, a fun thing to think about as uh, these things kind of come about in this natural way, and then you end up with this kind of beautiful balance in you know between two different uh, living things.
1: Totally, that's beautiful.
0: Yeah, no, I, I like I said, I and you know I had other songs in here I liked as well. I mean, honestly, they all had a different feel, but definitely a very nice theme running through all of them. But I, for for me, the, the wishing tower was my favorite song, but I also would be remiss to not mention the beginning of uh, the opening song, Walk Into The Sun, or I, I Walk Into The Sun, uh, has such a catchy opening. Let's talk a little bit about that and then we have another call uh, afterwards.
1: Yeah, that was, uh, that was really fun to make. Um, I actually didn't have that opening sequence until I was mixing the record, which is really fun. And that's kind of where I'm like compiling all these songs I've recorded over a year and like making them cohesive. Um, but there was, so I was like mixing one of my songs. And when I'm doing that, I'm kind of like trimming all the stuff between vocals and, and th- thing. I was trimming something and I remember hearing this like, it's, I called it a clown horn. That's what I called the audio file, but it was sounded like an ice cream truck like driving by my house. So I'm like weird. It's not like a clown riding his bicycle by my house ended up like cutting that up and sampling that um and it it kind of it's like this weird noise that comes in a couple times in the intro and throughout the song it's like this um oh yeah no i did not know what
0: you're talking about
1: (laughs) and then the other part is like another result of mixing and trimming um and finding these weird like um mess ups and it was basically a and i do this a lot actually it was me I think it was the part from the end of the song, those drums. And I was cut, chopping them up and trimming the fat. And there's a part of me dropping my drumstick. And that's what that's, oh. that's the like weird sound you're hearing,. Yeah, right, right. Um, and so yeah, just kind of like accentuating like what is a total mess up and a take um, and making it into this cool thing. And then uh, there's a vocal, like kind of like shrilly thing that I do. And that was, um, yeah, man, that was influenced by a friend's dream, not the one I mentioned earlier, but someone else. And it was, uh, I seem to like pop into people's dreamscapes occasionally and they'll tell me about their dreams. And that one, the dream they were telling me about was sounded exactly like um, Eyes Wide Shut. Is that it? Yeah, Stanley Kubrick.
0: (laughs) We were talking about that movie last episode. (laughs) Tyler, so are you that... Get out of here! Get out of here! All right, buddy. That's the show. <laughs> we have. No. Go ahead. Go ahead. This is those, We're talking about eyes wide shut. Yeah, we were talking about that show last week. So it's fortuitous that you bring it up now on this episode.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think those like vocal, like harmony, weird shrilly things yeah. were supposed to capture that feeling of uh, some sort of weird pagan sex cult dungeon thing.
0: All of which are prominent themes in Kubrick's, in my opinion, Kubrick's best film. Um, moving on, we have a, a, another call. Uh, we're getting on the lines real quick. So again, you know, call us from where they come from and we are getting them in the room. Let's see who we have. Caller, you were on the air. Tell us, uh, tell us your name and where you are from. getting it, waiting for the audio to connect. While we're waiting for that, again, the album we're talking about, Mystery Dream, available on Spotify and Amazon. We're talking with Miss Abysmal, the creator of the album, uh, which is a great piece. Other albums are also available on those platforms as well. And I've had a lot of time, a lot of fun talking to the artist uh, about that song. So be sure to check it out. Mystery Dream is the album, Artist name, Miss Abysmal. Carter, are you there?
2: Oh, well that color comes in I do want I do want to circle back to eyes wide shut again um, sure. because I know as a lot of our viewers have been talking I have I did make some unfounded claims that that uh, movie is the movie that ultimately ended or led to the demise of Stanley Kubrick's career miss. Um, Bismal, I know that you have some education in film uh, do you do you have any insights on that was I understand that to be Kubrick's last film, and um, I guess the theory that I heard is that he exposed a lot of different things that uh, some people might not wanted to have been exposed, and that may have led to his demise.
1: Ooh, I haven't, uh, I haven't heard about this, but it sounds like a good YouTube hole uh, to go down, for sure.
0: And I think we might have just gotten the caller on. Caller, are you on? Can you hear us? You know what i love joe i love great radio you know i love we,
2: that. we really need to fire our uh, sound engineer at this point we are going to let's give me i think i can try one thing real quick let's
0: see if uh paul can you hear us and i don't think that they can this is a kind of a bummer give me give us one second folks joe tell us again about the album we'll get it we'll get figure it figured out Well. Cool. I can talk about the album.
3: me. Oh, wait, there, and there
0: you Call her, you're caller. here. Very good. Tell us, uh, tell us your name, where you're from, and what your question is.
4: Hi, Um. so my name is Kelly. I am from Orange County, California. Wow, I'm just so excited to be on your show. <laughs> and before I say anything, before I say anything, can I give a couple of shout outs? Is that allowed?
0: Yes, yes, make it quick. <laughs>
4: I want to give a couple of shout outs to two of my girlfriends, Hannah and Chloe. I know you're listening right now. Um, hi. <laughs> Anyways. Oh, well, I can't what's,
0: your, what's your question? What's your question?
4: Well, okay. Um, I have a question for Miss and Miss Mole. Um I was just wondering, well, I wanted to let you know that I think you're extremely talented. and I love your music. I love the message and energy that your music brings. And um, when are you guys going on tour next? And can I get a free t-shirt? <laughs>
0: right, very good. And they'll be taking their call off the air. Very good. Miss Abysmal, any tour dates, merchandise, that kind of thing? Let us know.
1: Um, I got no, no tour. I don't think anyone has any tour dates right now. Um, and... Merch is pretty limited, but you know, I've, I've thought of the perfect merch item and I think it's gonna be lighters.
0: Very good. And when you, when you say lighters, <laughs> flashlights or the kind that you use for uh, lighting a candle at night. What kind of light are we talking about?
2: Yeah, like, yeah, like can- long, can- long handle long handle Bic lighters or the, the Bic and Flicks?
1: We'll have the, the full spectrum Zippos, Bics, uh, barbecue lighters, all of it.
2: My only
0: request, if you do make a lighter, Either like my Herman co-host is saying, make it the nice long one. Cause nobody hands those out. I mean, really it would stand apart. You know what I mean? Is you're handing out these, uh, you know, you know, foot long lighters or make it the, those windproof ones, you know, those, you know, the, uh, the, uh, blowtorch, you know, otherwise you have this little pussy flame. It's kind of <sighs> nothing. You can't mind like anything with that. My guys, it's just, it's just, just going to hurt you, you know, make it one of those windproof ones, you know, that way people can really, you know, do some damage with those things. I always like the windproof lighters myself. Joe, how about, Joe, your thoughts on lighters?
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, no one wants a lighter that you can't use. So I'm all about the windproof. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, and you know,
0: again, unfortunately no, no tour base, but uh, is, is touring something that you're hoping to put in your repertoire moving forward?
1: Uh, that'd be fantastic. The difficult thing is Aside from the status quo, um, I don't have a band at the moment, um, which I used to a few years ago. Um, but yeah, it would require assembling a whole group of people, and uh, I don't know if anyone's been in a band. It's a lot of work. It's like date. It's like uh, being married.
0: Is it like having a radio show with your with a charming co-host? Hundred percent. Hundred percent.
1: Very good. Try try uh, try three co-hosts
0: but are they all charming that's really the question no <laughs> i uh i am so clearly uh all right let me let, not not clearly you you made this entire album by yourself and i mean i to, to me that just seems like an impossible feat i mean could you just it, we have a couple of questions that are a little more broad but before we get on to those i want to just spend a little bit of time talking about the musical process itself i mean what is it To me, it seems like you have different layers of music, right? So you have the percussion layer, then you have the vocal layer, then you have, in in your case, all these interesting sound effects. And I'm just wondering, in your head, are you hearing it all at once? Or do you hear one layer and then you add another? What is the creative process versus the engineering process that gives you a song at the end?
1: Mm, um, Yeah, I think it's always different. Uh, I can't say I'm like a genius that hears an entire song. In my head, and when I do it, it usually i, I it's too it's really hard to translate that. Um, so usually, like working from one part to the other, and then at the more I'm working on it, the more I actually do start hearing all the parts together. Um. Yeah. What was the other uh, the other part of that?
0: No, that was the, that that was basically it. Um, I was just curious. You know, to me, it seems very hard to kind of layer different musical elements together. And uh, I guess, you know, you, you must have some kind of ear for that or something because, you know, it, it just seems like where would you begin with such, with such a, a, a feat? I, it just seems like an impossible task almost. Because you're, you're having to yeah. write all this music that works together and that that seems uh, really challenging to me.
1: Yeah, I usually do it as I go. I don't usually like have it all. I just kind of start and then it's a lot of like decisions, mm-hmm. like making making decisions and sticking with them as far as like when a when something's going to happen or how long something's going to go on for. And um, yeah, the computer's a pretty amazing tool and it's pretty easy to like kind of move things around and uh, do it all by yourself. It is possible.
0: Well, that's yeah. definitely so my- a, oh, I was just going to say, that's definitely a topic that we talk about on the show is technology enabling you know, these these pursuits. And and now I think that's a nice branding a nice, a nice launch point to kind of a broader discussion, you know, about kind of some, some more more meta topics. So why don't you open us up with that discussion a little bit?
2: Sure. So just talking about creativity and flow states in general, there are a couple of phrases that I've been uh, that have been stuck in my mind recently. Um, one of them is channeling the muse, which is to me means that It's not really me that's creating the art, or in this case, the artist that's creating the art. The artist is more acting as an antenna to to filter in something from somewhere else that ends up creating something. And I want to know if you share that experience as you create your art, as well as another term that sticks in my mind, which is letting things engineer themselves. And that plays with it in the same way, in the sense that you're, I'm not really doing anything when I create something or at least when I create something good, I'm not really doing anything. And it's the, almost the better the art, the less effort that's put into it. Um, because in essence, it, things essentially engineer themselves. Um, do you share that experience as you create things? And, um, a second part to that question would be, can you talk a little bit about flow states? I know you have some experience in that area.
1: Yeah. Um, I certainly agree with like, the the muse thing, um, but it's not always like that. And I think what you nailed it where it's like usually the best things happen pretty quickly, and it's like it's not you that's doing it; it's just it's just coming through you. But um, yeah, something like you know we were talking about Dream Jungle earlier. That is like the that song's the opposite of that. That's like literally studying other songs and. Mm-hmm. Purposefully trying to write something um, in a certain way. Um, I'm trying to think of like another a song on the record, but yeah, there's definitely other ones that were more flowy. But there's also a really analytical approach I can take sometimes. So I do both. It,
0: building off the theme of creativity, what? what kind of, in, of environments do you find that you're most creative in or is there a, a place that you go to is there a, a mindset they try to put yourself in uh, you know maybe like a drink or something I light a candle with your windproof lighter that you're going to be selling out later on uh, what do you what do you do to create in a creative environment or to put yourself in a creative environment
1: yeah that's kind of funny you said that because I'm in my ideal creative environment right now actually um I tend to be pretty like seasonal. I really like working in the winter time. So right now I'm in a cabin in the mountains in New Mexico. Um, there's nothing like the nearest grocery store is an hour away. Um, there's just nothing going on out here and it's really cold outside. And so you don't even really want to be outside for very long. Um, yeah. And I just have all my, I mean, the computer's pretty stuck right here, but, um, just surrounded in a huge circle with all my instruments and, um, drinks, coffee's great. Kombucha's good. Uh, crack a beer when the sun goes down. Um, yeah, anything really.
2: Okay. I'd like to follow up with another question on inspiration. Um, I know that this is a tough question to answer a lot of times, but, Could you name maybe three or four or a couple uh, uh, musical inspirations? Or I guess they don't even have to be musical, but any like three artists that you might, you draw a lot of inspiration from um, for your work. I know that you mentioned people like uh, Joni Mitchell, you mentioned King Gizzard and Radiohead. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd be interested to hear what other ones are in that repertoire.
1: Um, Always uh, Beatles. It's like pretty default. Every musician will give you that one, um, especially when I'm recording. Uh, I tend to listen to quite a bit of Beatles stuff. Um, it just hits on every level. Like if I want, you know, like emotional, like real feelsy shit, I'll uh, listen to, you know, like the George Harrison tracks are really good. If I want like crazy just genius stuff, like uh, and amazing lyrics, like Lennon stuff and um, I don't fuck with Paul McCartney too much, to be honest, but, uh, uh, let me think of some other ones. What about Ringo? Uh, was, uh, Ringo just holding it down, keeping it simple. Great drum inspiration. Don't, don't, don't overdo it. Keep it simple. Um, yeah, I've been listening. Uh, I've actually been listening to this podcast hanging with audio files in addition to Roses and Rhetoric, um, but it's a podcast by Jamie Lydell and he that's been really like inspiring us from a production and engineering standpoint, like cool miking strategies and stuff like that. And just weird shit you do in a studio, um, particularly like the like Sean Everett is a producer I'm getting really into um, even before this was listening to like Sound and Color by Alabama, the Alabama Shakes and uh, the just productions insane on that one. It's just like, and that's not really like my type of music, but the way he produced it was really, really cool. Uh,
2: What about the way he produced it It was of interest to you?
1: He does basically the most like unconventional, crazy techniques, um, placing microphones in weird places, like recording the drums with like, you know, iPod earphone, um, like, you know, I mean, shittier ones than this, like the old ones. Using those as microphones, um, weird binaural head microphones. Um, yeah, when you when you actually start like check out that record, like start listening for the details, like it was like you can literally hear like the pedal on the piano, like still going, and like you can hear all this like janky shit going on in the background. That's uh, it's really charming.
0: I I, I like that. I uh, one of the things that I've I've tried to do um, had a had a few friends that are very much film enthusiasts, and uh, have made an effort. Or I, I made an effort to listen to them when they talk about some of the more production side things, uh, camera techniques, that kind of thing. The actual, um, you know, uh, like w- w- the the physical things you do to capture the the audio and, and the visual, and what a difference that makes. Uh, I remember the first time that I saw 2001: A Space Odyssey when in in the 70 millimeter film and just how it was truly really was a different experience than what i had seen before it looked different it was a, it was it was a very enjoyable experience uh in an art house theater um and so to hear you talk about the production side for music that to me makes a lot of sense and is that as you've begun making your own music do you find yourself listening to songs that you listened to in the past and, and hearing things differently or, or getting something different out of it now that you're in that creative mode yourself
1: Totally. Um, I think it happened like really recently, like in the past six months. I um I'm almost at the point where when I hear a song, I I know how they did everything, like and what the instruments are. And I can tell exactly like that was that synth or that keyboard. Um, and they, you know, mic'd it a certain way or something. Um and that's like a real Quest or like just trying to discover like i really like a sound how did they do it and like just digging on the internet for interviews or like even just like photos of people like in the studio and you like look in the background like what is that thing um yeah so really like studying that a lot and now like my ears are really really trained for that shit very
0: nice i wanted to ask a couple questions joe i'll give you a chance if you have one to follow up with that oh no go ahead I wanted to talk a little bit about <clears throat> music as business and kind of music as entrepreneurship and to kind of open it up with maybe kind of a, a, a simple question. Um, talk a little bit about what goes into marketing an album, what goes into selling an album. You know, you've recorded it, you have your product. What are the, for anybody who's listening that wants to make music a way that they, that they make money, you have this product, what do you, what do you then do to get it into the marketplace?
1: Dude, I don't know. Um I, I have the exact same question because um, I know how to like real get it out there. like I know how to like print the CDs and I know how to get it on Spotify and all that stuff and then from there beats I I really don't know and I'd really would love to know and it's not something I feel particularly uh, passionate about like becoming a market savvy I like making I'm an artist really. Um.
2: I will. I, I think that the Roses and Rhetoric podcast is an excellent place to get the word out there for the, the album itself. Um, and I understand that it's not an artist's priority to also be a marketeer or someone that markets their product. Um, just philosophically, do you feel any opposition to, to aggressive marketing on a product like this or towards your art? Oh
1: man. I I'm pretty removed and I, I almost don't feel like qualified to answer that question. Like I, I have a really good ad blocker. Uh, I have no recommended videos on YouTube. I don't use social media. Um, I just like, and I live out in the middle of this cabin in the middle of nowhere. So I get like very little advertising and marketing. Um, I understand the reasoning for it. And like, I would want that for myself. I wouldn't want to be the one doing it per se, but um. I guess that's how you, I mean, at the end of the day, it's just like trying to get art and let it reach people and like it's a wider audience is like really important. And um, it seems like a really liberating and really confusing time for that right now. I think like they're going to be a disruptor um, for the music industry. Netflix, Uber, like something's got to give and like change things. Um, it just kind of hasn't happened yet.
0: I would be interested to know what your thoughts are on using an app like we're using now, but for performing live that it seems, you know, so my, my dad, other parents, they all have these stories of, you know, seeing these famous bands and like all these like obscure concerts, and like all these like random venues it seems to me that with the advent of you know decently high quality uh audio visual apps that it it ought to be easier to reach live music is that something that you've considered doing as a band you know using an app like clubhouse using an app like you know facebook live or anything like that a youtube live stream for performing and and on that note what do you what is your link or what do you see as the playoff between live performance versus recording music and selling it as a finished product?
1: Mm. Um, Yeah, for some reason, something about like the whole live streaming thing doesn't, I've never really watched a live stream. It doesn't really interest me very much. Um, I do watch like, you know, like now there's a lot like those KEXP videos on YouTube. Hmm bands in the studio and they film them which is like a really nice way to document a live performance i like those but i don't feel a need to like watch them at a certain time right like um yeah and live music has like a really special uh atmosphere and energy and there's something like undescribably powerful about it that can happen to people through it i mean it's literally like you know there's sound vibrations going through the air um and in a room or Area shared by a lot of people, and you just get like you're touching, right. yeah. like you're, yeah, you're, you're exactly. Yeah. 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 So, there's something I mean, there's so much to it that's just not, uh, I don't think translates well, but I think a lot of people are taking good advantage of it, and probably a lot of people are enjoying it. But I don't, I'm not a part of either of those parties. Yeah, I think that's
2: definitely something that the, the world is lacking right now is that in person um, musical performance. The crowd aspect, and I, I I hope it comes back soon. Yeah, dancing. I mean, yeah, I, I, I doubt that anyone within a couple hundred mile radius of me has danced in a a group larger than five people in the past year. So I I hope that all comes back, Um, and I hope it comes back soon. For that reason, I, I, I do as well. And I, I guess
0: I, this might seem like a funny question given what we just talked about, but I, I. Have you ever, one of the things that we talk about on this podcast all the time is an author named Peter Thiel, who's very big in startups and this idea of innovation and, and, and capitalism and starting companies. Now, as I was listening to your music, I was just thinking, really, I mean, a, a band is a startup. I mean, that, that's what it is. It's a small group of people with a unified vision working together to make a product. And I'm just curious, did, did you ever did you ever think of your band or even as an individual performer? Did you ever think of, of, of your artistic endeavor from a business point of view in the sense that you're making a, a product to satisfy a demand in the, in the consumer base?
1: Uh, so like picking the name was actually really important to me. Sure. Um, something I put a lot of um, thought into and like the, cause I'd played in a band before with like, the name was a pun. And we always had to explain the pun to people. Um, and so I specifically chose the name. I mean, I already told, like, I guess the meaning or, like, where it came from. But there's, like, another layer to it where, like, a practical, logical layer where I can verbally articulate to you, like, miss Abysmal, Um, And you got it. Like, and I've tried Googling it, like, you fuck it up and spell it wrong or, like, do an MS or something. And it'll still work. Um, so... From that perspective, I was like very, and there was no other misabysmal. So, just being really like specific about if I meet someone on the street, can I tell them what like my passion project is verbally, and that's it, and they can Google it, and it's not contending with other things, or yeah. So, that was pretty businessy for me. Absolutely,
0: uh, that's actually I think very cogent of exactly kind of thing that. uh People should do when they're starting this, and actually, it's funny you talk about naming. That's actually one of the things that Peter Till talks about quite a bit is the importance of a name. uh in, in a in a company, I know Joe and I, Roses Rhetoric, we we uh, came up with that name together on the, on the phone one night, and uh, just immediately kind of liked it. And like, all right, well, we've got to Google. It. Does anybody else have it? And it's like, no. It's like, all right, perfect. We got to get it. And uh, I mean, it's fun. It's like the first thing that that you create. Um, I had a couple more questions, Joe, but I wanted to get over, give it over to you for a chance to ask something
2: you might have yourself. Well, I I, I think we need to jump into the uh, public service announcement that ah, yes. the rhetoric program has for today. Yes, yes. Tell us um, about before we turn your questions. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Jim, I know that you were you were in a, a snowstorm in Houston last week, right? Correct. Yep,
0: absolutely.
2: Um, so I was in a snowstorm in Portland as well, and I think that one thing we can all agree on is the importance of extra batteries around the house. Like I'm talking double A's, triple A's, D cells, even the nine volt. I was, I was using a stud finder the other day. I needed a nine volt and uh, I didn't have one. So I couldn't hang when I needed to hang. Yep. But for that reason, I mean, it's, it's good to have some extra packs around. And more importantly, make sure you know where those packs are. Mm. Uh, no one wants to be stuck opening every cabinet in the pantry looking for these things. Um, you know, so I suggest just picking a drawer, Defining that as your battery drawer and keep all your batteries in one place. Um, and this is a habit we can start teaching our kids. um, maybe even as early as high school, you know, every student should have an extra pack of triple A's in their backpack just in case the batteries in the TI-89 run out right before a math exam or an engineering exam or whatever you have. Yeah, as I'm sure you do, Jim. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, We we can't we really can't have too many batteries on hand Uh, in the event of a global financial collapse. It's even conceivable that batteries become a form of currency. Uh, So now, although that's pure speculation, but that shouldn't prevent us from taking it seriously. Uh, Batteries could one day be money. So everyone, I want you all to go out and uh, and buy some batteries. Make sure you're well stocked. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I'd like to turn it back to you, Jim. I think you uh, had some follow-up questions.
0: I I tell you right now I I, I couldn't agree more. I and I'll, I'll say this one one more thing, Joe, on, on that point. When you're mm-hmm. buying a flashlight, ask yourself one really important question: What batteries am I most likely to have in my house? Buy a flash that uses those batteries. You know, the other day I was using a flashlight, Joe, running on a AAA. What the, what the fuck is that bullshit? A AAA battery? Give me a break i want that A or i want diesel i have those batteries in my house at all times so when you're buying a flashlight buy one for batteries you're gonna have in your house
2: very
4: good well, everybody, we
0: good, are, good message i thank you uh, we are we are getting near the end of our show today we've had a lot of fun with miss abysmal again the album name, Mystery Dream, find it online, Spotify, Amazon, listen to it. It's a nine-song album, super fun, super enjoyable, beginning to end. Put it on your car to driving around. It will be a lot of fun. I want to end with one question, to Miss abysmal again, coming from Peter Thiel. This is a hard question, so take some time with it. Um, <clears throat> the idea with this question is that it, it is a question that somebody could conceivably answer and come up with a novel business idea or a novel pursuit of some kind and the, the, the question is as follows what truth do you believe in that you have a hard time convincing others of
1: wait okay i'm already fucking up the quickly part but is it supposed to be about music or like Anything. M-
0: Anything at all.
1: What is a truth you believe
0: in? What is a truth you believe in that you have a hard time convincing other people of? It can be about music. It can be about AA batteries. Maybe you love AAA battery flashlights. You'd be wrong, but maybe you do. It can be about anything. Anything that uh, the truth you believe in, you have a hard time convincing other people of.
1: That everyone... I think it is highly beneficial to do yoga and meditate every day. And I think everyone should do that.
0: I agree actually with that one. And, uh, Joe, I believe you're also a big meditator as well, if I'm not mistaken.
2: Yeah. I always try to be meditating.
0: Yes. Very good. Well, everybody. Wow. That was a lot of fun. Again, album mystery, dream, find it online, download by today. A lot of fun to listen to joining us. Miss Abysmal. Thank you for joining us. This was a lot of fun. I hope you had a good time as well.
1: Thank you. I did. Thanks so much for having me. All
0: right, everybody. Well, that wraps up episode number 21. Find us online. We're on Twitter at roses underscore rhetoric. Of course, our website, www.rosesandrhetoric.com. Follow us on on uh, Joe's Instagram as well, uh, at jose4 underscore vote His Twitter name, at jose4 underscore vote And now the official Rose's Rhetoric Instagram. So oh, tell us about the Roses and Rhetoric
2: Instagram page. Oh, fresh Instagram just came to fruition this last week. Uh, handle Roses underscore Rhetoric, just like Twitter. Check it out.
0: Very good. Very good, everybody. Well, we will see you all next time. I'm Jimmy Hackett signing up for Joseph Sanford. Until then, ciao.